Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to my show, Divorce Redefined. I am Cindy Stibbard, and I'm your host. And I am so honored to be here every week as part of Voice America Empowerment Channel and with you. And on this show every week, we dig deep into a topic that many of us feel uncomfortable about, a topic that is highly stigmatized in our society, and a topic that triggers even those of us who have gone through it and are well on the other side. And that is a topic of divorce. I'm a divorce coach, a certified divorce specialist, a discernment counselor in training, but first and foremost, I'm a mother, a partner, a daughter, a sister, a lifelong learner, a chronic overthinker, and a bit of a truth teller. And I like to have the uncomfortable conversations that most people don't want to have. One of my driving missions and what inspired me to start my professional practice, Divorce Redefined, is to increase the knowledge and understanding of both marriage and separation. As a divorce coach, I am in no way an advocate of divorce, but when I found myself at navigating the divorce process in my early 40s, I was embarrassed, shocked, and terrified to discover how little I truly knew about the legal implications of marriage and what the divorce process actually entailed. So I decided to create the support that I needed when I was going through it. And if we can get more resources and better professionals in front of those those of you who are going through hard times like divorce and try to navigate it in a better and different way, the entire foundation of our marriages and our relationships can start to change. And that's what I've discovered that I have been put on this earth to do. I think I've been put on this earth to give others who are going through divorce better support, a shifted perspective, and actionable resources to handle the process in a less antiquated way and to make talking about divorce less taboo, less shameful, to normalize the conversations, and to provide non-judgmental safe spaces to ask questions, learn, grow, feel vulnerable, be understood, make mistakes, and above all, know that you're not alone. You know, when we try to have these conversations, when we've tried to learn about how best to navigate the murky waters of divorce, often the people who we reach out to are biased, shame-based, intimidating, power and money-driven sometimes, and prey on those during a vulnerable time. And that is what this show is about. We are going to give you actionable resources, information, education, and empowerment so you can do the hard things in your marriage and your relationships. We're going to have those hard conversations, conversations that are vulnerable and deep and sometimes really messy. And whether it be marriage or a long-term commitment, going forward on this journey, I'm going to be introducing you to some incredible guests who have valuable insight and advice to share. And today, I'd like to introduce you to someone special, and I'm going to make a confession for a second. I've had a girl boss crush on this guest since the moment I established my own online presence in the divorce world. She is an award-winning divorce attorney, published author, a founder of the family law firm Bauer Law Group, and as an accomplished litigator, she boldly educates and inspires women to reclaim their right to happiness through her online course, which is called The Decourse, and her own podcast called Happy Even After. Welcome, Renee Bauer. <laughs> hey, Cindy. I'm hey. so excited to be here. I feel like we know each other, though, because I know. we've both been on the online space, and I see you all the time, so this conversation is long overdue. I know. I feel like I feel the same way, too, but I'm so honored that you're here today, and I love that I love that you're starting out this process. I started this show with had a, had a financial person on it and now a lawyer because I feel that at the beginning of the legal process, at the beginning of the divorce process, you know, the idea of a lawyer is so terrifying, right? Like I remember, <laughs> remember the day I was, you know, decided that I was leaving my marriage and I had to go find a lawyer and I was driving downtown and I'm like, I'm sweating. My heart is beating out of my chest. Like I had lawyers like way up here on this pedestal of like fear, right? Like, what am I going to save this person? And now I'm going down this path and this seems so intimidating. And when I saw you on Instagram, I was like, what? 
like she's a divorce attorney and how is she so open to looking at a holistic person and mindset around divorce and even recovery. So I want to learn more about, you know, where, first of all, how you got into what you're doing in the first place. (laughs) Um, And then your approach, because it's so different than what I typically see. You know, it, it, it definitely wasn't linear. So I ended up in the divorce space simply because I worked for a law firm that did a little bit of everything, did a ton of criminal law, did some personal injury. And I was a horrible criminal lawyer. Like I'm not the person you want to go to if you need a criminal defense. So I ended up doing all of their family law work and realized I'm like, oh, like this is where I belong because it's so much more than just practicing the law. It's so much more than contracts. Like you're able to connect with people and impact them and help them. And it's a little bit social work, it's a little bit counseling, a little bit legal work. And I realized that's where my skill set was. And that's how I ended up starting my own practice. I spent five years with that firm and then said, okay, now it's time for me to do my own thing. And I know I want to focus just on divorce because I think that's where I can make the biggest impact. And from there, that's where my journey started. But it has been such a metamorphosis because at the time I was married Mm -hmm. and now I'm twice divorced. So everything that happened in between is what makes me have the position that I have or have the mindset around divorce and why I do the work that I do and why I decided to share this in a bigger space in social media. Um, it was because of everything you said at the beginning, the shame, the guilt, the mm. the feeling like a failure. Like I, I felt all of that. And so yeah. I went to work as a divorce lawyer, but I was a broken version of myself when I got home. And when I really started to lean into what was happening and how I was feeling and sitting alone with all of those feelings, I realized, okay, there's work to be done. I have to do it personally. And then once I, I was able to realize, okay, there's so much beauty that happens and so much growth out on the other side of divorce. Then I said, okay, now it's time to start talking about it and sharing it with the public because I've been through it and I've lived it. That's huge. Especially since you've gone down that path, like not once, but twice, like how much learning is that for you, right? To really be in their feet first, you can empathize with your clients on a totally another level. Yeah. And you know, it's like the, you hear so often someone goes through a divorce and it's like, how am I going to survive this? I'm going Mm -hmm. to be alone for the rest of my life. What am I going to do when I miss my kids? And I went through all of that. Like I remember the weekends following my first divorce. Now I have a two year, I had a two-year-old son when I got divorced. Um, Now he's 16. So a lot of time has passed, but I remember those weekends and just sitting in my condo and just sobbing. Being like, I, you know, my friends don't live in the state where I was that I wasn't, I didn't grow up in that state and I don't have anybody and I miss my son and what is he doing? And did I make the right decision? And God, that was an awful moment. Like that was the lowest of lows in my life. And when you go through that and then you come out the other side and you experience the joy and falling in love and getting remarried and then getting divorced again, like that's even lower of a low in terms of like feeling like a failure, but figuring it out along the way that that's only a moment. It doesn't define you. It doesn't say that mean that you're not lovable, which is something I thought for a really long time. It's just a moment. It's just like, okay, I had to go through those things in order to be where I am. And now I'm so grateful for all of that. Like that journey allowed me to be in the place that I'm in now. And I wouldn't change it for the world. I know. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fascinating? Because like your lowest moments make you who you are today. And I even think about that in my journey. Like I feel like I was a different shell of a person then as opposed to, to now. And I, when I was doing a bit more reading about you and how you were so, you know, quiet and reserved and private. And I felt like that was me before I got divorced. Literally, I I couldn't speak up. I was even too afraid to speak to a lawyer. And I mean, now, now look at us, (laughs) like, let's just talk to the world. I know. And I, you know, it it was, it was being so private because part of that is, I mean, we talk about generational trauma. We talk about the stuff that we bring from our childhood into our our present, but it was like, I had to be the best version of myself, the perfect version of myself, the, you know, the, the good, the good mom, the good wife, the good daughter, the good sibling, all of those goods that really just meant that I was not being true to myself. And I was not making choices based on what I wanted because I was so busy trying to fulfill all of these roles that are impossible for us to do that. And we're so busy people pleasing. 
you know, and so busy trying to live the life that someone else wants us to live because they think they know better than us. And once we strip all of that away and say, you know what, Uh -uh, I'm going to take all of that, you know, really mute the noise, mute the chatter and really start to live what the life that I want and make decisions based on what I think is best for me. Well, that's Mm -hmm. where the beauty is. Like that's when we start Mm -hmm. to be like the outspoken and don't care don't care about the critics. You don't care about putting it out there and you start to really be free. Yeah. And that's, that that takes a lot of courage because, you know, us as women, we are, we are basically trained and conditioned to be able to care for others. You know, everyone else's needs come before our own, that it's like this ingrained guilt in us to put ourselves first. And that's why, I mean, I see so many women, on the fence for so long, so many years before they decide to leave a situation that's not right for them because they're really concerned about how that's going to impact everyone else. And yes, you know, divorce does have a trickle down effect. It does impact everyone around you from your family to your, your, you know, your kids and your friends. So it is definitely, um, it's a courageous act, a courageous step to make for yourself, for sure. It changes a lot of things. Yeah, it, it, it is. And yet it's the almost the most selfless act that you can make because, I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves when we're in that marriage, it's how happy is it? How happy is your spouse? How happy are you as a couple? How loving are you? How affectionate are you? How joyful is your household? Mm -hmm. And when you ask those questions and ask someone to really look at that, they're going to say, well, not that happy you know, Mm. but, but divorce is so scary and there's so much fear around divorce. And, you know, I think we owe it to ourselves, to our spouse, to our children to be happy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means having to make really difficult decisions and doing things that are really, really hard. And, you know, but that's the thing that, that, that's what, that's why you and I are sitting here on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And we're different versions of ourselves, and we're the happiest versions, you know, and I, I think back, like, if I hadn't made that decision, if I chose to stay because life was comfortable, because my husband was a good man, and he was, mm-hmm. he's a good father, and I had, I, you know, made that decision just to be happy and just kind of get over whatever I was feeling inside, like, where would I be now? I would yeah. definitely be broken, there would be no light in my eyes, I wouldn't yeah. be doing this work, I wouldn't be sharing the message. You know, it's it was like, so true. You're meant, you're meant to walk that path. Yeah. Yeah. And you always find like, there was, there's a reason that you're here. Right. I mean, this, yeah. the reason I went through my divorce is because I needed to be here right now too. And I felt like, Oh my God, for the first time in my forties, I feel like I found my purpose, yes. right. Like yeah. to, to be able to help other people, but I wouldn't be here had I stayed. And, you know, everyone says, well, and you know, how unhappy were you? And it's like, well, everything was probably like 70 to 80% fine, but the 20% that was missing was a big deal to me, right? That was kind of like the deal breakers in a way. And if it's that much, people like, Oh, isn't 80% good enough. I'm like, but maybe not for me. Right. Yeah. I had a moment. I had a moment when my son was born, he was an infant and I was driving down the street. He was in the backseat of my car. And I had this thought that now that I have my son, I don't need anything else to be happy. And like, had I, at the moment, had I really looked at that, I would have been like, whoa, like, whoa, girl, like (laughs) the fact that you can think that and be okay with that means that there's a problem. But I lived that way for two years before I made the decision and recognized like, that's not okay. But it's, you know, it's crazy. The, the things that we put up with or that we we settle for, I should Mm -hmm. say, because I don't think I put up with anything. I settled for just the status quo. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more to that. And, and we see it all the time with our clients. We see, I see it with friends who are in marriages that aren't happy. They're toxic or they're just, um, they're just kind of living parallel lives, but not, they're not intertwined and you get to make a different decision. Like we only have one, one life here and it's, how do you want the end to look like? How do you want your whole journey to look like when you're 85 years old at the end, you want to look back and be like, wow, that was a waste. I wasn't happy for most of it, or like I made some really hard, uncomfortable decisions that terrified me. I survived it. And wow, what a journey. Yeah. I think that's, that's huge. And a lot of people are in that 
should I, or should I not? And I mean, if you are in a, in a relationship and you've really done everything you possibly can, you know, and it's like marriage is a road over time. It's not something that's just going to break overnight. Right. It's like a death by a million paper cuts, you know, over time. Right. And if you get to that point where you really just don't have anything left that you can connect on or, or, or it's not working, like one side refuses to do any work on the marriage, one party wants to, you know, I see that a lot. And, or you see couples who are like, oh yeah, we've done a couple of therapy sessions that didn't work. And it's like, well, you have to really dive into that for anything to even be improved. But at the same time, how much do you want to, you know, both parties have to be, okay, we're all in on this work and changing our ways in order for things to change. You have to change for things to change. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, uh, a counselor for my first marriage who we had gone to a handful and she called me, I remember driving home and she called me and she said, you know, it's okay to walk away. Mm-hmm. And it was like, she saw something in our interaction or heard something. And she realized that this wasn't, this wasn't going to work. And I, one of us, two of us, you know, you know, both of us were showing up maybe just to show up to feel like we had to, it was an obligation. Mm -hmm. Um, But at some point you have to look back and say, okay, you know, what are we doing here? Are we willing to put the work in? Do, are we both invested in this or are we just kind of showing up to check the boxes and say, well, I did what I, what I needed to do or what I should have done. um, And then just kind of prolonged it. Mm-hmm. I know totally. And I think a, a big fear of taking that step is that financial concern, right? And you go having gone through it twice, like that must've been so scary to think, Oh God, hey, I'm doing this again. Like the financial impact of divorce is real, right? No matter how you cut it, it happens. And that fear for so many women is now, what is my financial future going to look like now? Right now? What? Cause the lifestyle yeah. is what holds a lot of people in their comfortable situations. You know, the money part is funny because that is the thing that holds people back. And when we have clients come into the office and they don't decide to proceed, usually it's, well, it's usually because the kids, they're worried about the impact of the kids, but money is also a really big one. And it's, how am I going to pay my bills? Um, I've never been the breadwinner. And, you know, money always works out. It always, always works out, even when it's terrifying, even when you think that you you don't have enough. If you really do the work to like peel back, okay, what do my expenses look like? What are the things that I can cut out? Do I really need to live in this house that maybe is 3,000 square feet and really expensive to maintain? What happens if I downsize? Mm-hmm. And now my expenses become manageable. And often people are so attached to the house. It's such mm-hmm. an emotional It's an emotional decision and they don't want to let go. And that's one of the first conversations I have is one, can you afford it? And if you're relying on on your spouse or support to afford the house, you don't want the house because what if they're late? What if they, they don't pay their support on time? You don't want to be put in a position where you're relying on someone else's support in order to pay your bills. Mm -hmm. So if you really downsize your living expenses, look at your budget, you know, get really, really, um, aggressive with cutting things out so that you can afford your current situation. And it might be different. And that's a hard one for people to swallow is that your current financial situation will probably change, probably change mm-hmm. dramatically, but your happiness is still worth more than the 3000 square foot house. Mm-hmm. And if you're living in a smaller space, maybe half the size and you're happy, who cares how many bedrooms that your house has? And it really, it's keeping the eye on the prize and it's about being happy and all of the other stuff falls into place. And sometimes that means you have to go back to work if if someone hasn't been working or in for Mm -hmm. a while. And, you know, to that, when someone says, but our decision was to, to, for me to stay home, to raise the kids. And it's like, but now you have the opportunity to recreate yourself, to be financially independent. And there's so much power to know that you can support yourself. Like if we flip the conversation, start looking at at it from a different perspective, the money gets less scary. Yeah. And it sounds like you take that approach where I love when you're saying, okay, the eye is on the prize. It's your happiness because you see, uh, you know, a lot of lawyers look at, okay, what can we get out of this? Right. It sounds like your approach isn't like that. You more look at really realistic 
scenario of what we're doing here? Yeah. I mean, it's what are you entitled to? That's the first thing. That's the starting point. And to some extent, okay, where can we, where can we push that? How, how much can we get? Right. But that shouldn't be the determining factor as to how you come out the other side. Mm-hmm. So what you, what life looks like out the other side of your divorce should have absolutely nothing to do with your parenting plan or money or how, whether you're getting the China set or the, you know, the big screen TV, like none of that should impact that. And if you change that perspective and start saying, okay, how, what do I want my life to look like out the other side of my divorce? Not what am I going to uh, accumulate in property and wealth? And, you know, that subtle change and just looking at in your perspective of how you're looking at it really changes the the level of, you know, as a lawyer, you want your client happy. Mm-hmm. And if my client is happy looking at the possibility of what life can be after the divorce, she's going to be much more satisfied than looking at, well, he got the two, the two TVs and I only got one. And, you know, because you're constantly looking back and I want a happy client. And so sometimes that work involves really doing some mindset work mm-hmm. and really working with them to, to find goals and explore what life after divorce looks like. Cause I think creating that vision, I, I love that idea because creating that vision is, is unknown. It's like, how can I put two feet out the door when I have no idea what this is going to look like for me and changing up what that can look like. Cause I think going through this, we all, you know, we have this assumption stereotypically that, oh, the mom keeps the house with the kids and the dad goes off and rents an apartment or whatever that looks like. Right. But a lot of times that's not necessarily a realistic or reasonable, like financially. And is that really what you want? Or do you want something that's new and fresh where you can, yes, not close the door on your old life and those memories, obviously cherish and honor that time in your life. It was special, but be able to just open a door to to something new, something that is outside of maybe what you've become accustomed to. Yeah. And, and get uncomfortable. I don't know why the default is to stay comfortable. Like so often people are making choices based on what's more comfortable for them. They're staying in jobs. They're not happy in because it's comfortable. They're staying in marriages. They're not happy in because it's comfortable. They're not moving or they're not starting the business because they don't want to be uncomfortable. And it's, if you start to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, then, then the, the sky's the limit as to what life can look like and what can start to unfold. And every challenge that you run up against, you conquer that challenge. And now it's like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next big, scary thing. And for many people, divorce starts that process. That's the first big, most uncomfortable thing that they've ever had to deal with. And rather than get stuck in the blame game and the shame game and playing victim and looking back and having that resentment. It's like, okay, how can I overcome this challenge? Because mm-hmm. if I can get through this, then the next thing that comes up, like I've got that, you know, yeah. that's, that will be easy too. Yeah. And, and making that, that mindset set shift is so big and that fear of what my life will look like and creating that picture is, is super important. It comes down to all the, also the financial thing, but talking about, you know, your role as a lawyer, I think it's so critical that people can connect with someone, a lawyer who they feel really represents them and they feel safe with. I think a lot of times, you know, finding the lawyer is like, they'll find a divorce coach or they've found a lawyer and then they find the divorce coach, but it's like, how do I go and find the right match for me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's asking the right questions and trusting your gut. And just because you get a referral to someone doesn't mean that that person is the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. So sit down with them and ask them their philosophy about divorce. Ask them about their communication style. How, how long does it take for them to return phone calls? Like that's a big one. Most people who complain about lawyers, which there are a lot of them or, or even clients who come to us and who have gotten rid of their lawyers and have switched over to us, the number one complaint is they're not getting any sort of communication from them. Your lawyer should be returning your calls, should be returning your emails. Um, if not the same day, the day after, like there is absolutely no excuse to not have communication with your lawyer. And that's a big one. So that's an important question. Yeah. And then, you know, is this someone who you want to cry to if you need to? Is this someone mm. who you can have an open conversation with? Is it someone who shuts you down 
talks down to you is condescending. Well, you know, that's a red flag and run and go with someone and, and who you feel really comfortable with and, you know, trust your gut, your gut never serves you wrong, but trust your gut and say, okay, this is, this is the right person for me based on that conversation. Don't be afraid to interview them. It's mm-hmm. you're interviewing them as much as, you know, they're looking at you as a potential client, but the, you have yeah. the control to find someone. Yeah, totally. I think it, it's definitely about the values that they have. And and to me, not finding that lawyer that tells you what you want to hear, right? Yes. Like you oh, really that's... want someone who's going to be like, just tell me how it's really going to be. <laughs> Cindy, that's massive. That's massive. If someone is promising you everything, run from that lawyer because what they're doing is they've already spent all of your money and they're going to cost you way more in the long mm-hmm. run. You do totally. not want a lawyer who's going to tell you everything you want. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to talk about this more um, after we come back because there were two posts on Instagram, which I would love to ask you about, which were were, were my favorite. Um, But any of our listeners listening right now, if you have any questions for us or any questions for Renee, please, the best way to do that is probably to send me a DM over my Instagram at Divorce Redefined. And I will try my best to get it answered for you on the show today live. And go and check out Renee's social media pages. She is at Miss Renee Bauer over on Instagram. Her websites are also MissReneeBauer.com and FamilyLawCT.com. And also go check out her podcast, Happily happy even after on Apple podcasts. Um, you do have an episode on there that I just started listening to with you and your husband. So I can't wait. to keep ah, listening yes. about that. <laughs> yes. We'll talk about this more after the break. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. If you have a question for Cindy or her guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Here is Cindy Stibbard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back to Divorce Redefined. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard. And if you are just joining us right now, welcome. And on this show, we dig deep into a topic that many of us feel uncomfortable about, a topic that's highly stigmatized in our society, and a topic that sometimes even triggers me. And I've been, I've gone through it and I'm well on the way of the other side. And that is a topic of divorce. And today joining me is Renee Bauer. She is award-winning divorce attorney, published author, and founder of the family law firm Bauer Law Group. And Renee has been doing her work in, in the divorce world for, I think, well, over two decades now. And she is passionate about helping all women make it through divorce and out the other side. So welcome back, Renee. Thanks. Yeah. So as we left the break, we were talking about, you know, the law, because you have been a practicing family lawyer for many, many years and have gone through a divorce now yourself twice. And when you choose a lawyer at the beginning of your divorce, it's so important to pick a person who you feel is really going to represent you and your best interests and honestly be honest with you, right? Not a person that's going to tell you, you know, what you, what you want to hear. There it was an Instagram post that you did a while back, I think. And 
it was so, I was like, oh, that's so amazing. You had held up a piece of paper and you talked about what a judge takes from your case, right? So if you are, you think you go to court, you think, well, I'm just going to go to court because the judge is going to hear all of my story. And then the judge is going to make a decision because they are like the be all end all deciding factor. Right. And you held up a piece of paper, like a regular full scat piece of paper, and you started folding it into small squares saying, showing us how much a judge actually hears of your story in court. So I wish I could show people, but if anyone (laughs) scrolls back on your Instagram, they could probably find that, but tell us more about that. Cause I think people don't realize that not much of their story is really heard. Yeah. So if a piece of paper, a full sheet of paper is your entire story, what actually gets gets put in front of your lawyer. So you're going to go to your lawyer and you're going to tell your story as much of it as you can. And the lawyer is probably going to process or hear half of that. And they're going to pull out pieces of it that they think are relevant and or that are important once you go to court. And now when you go into court and you fold that piece of paper and and again, that half paper, you fold it again in a quarter, then that becomes, that's the amount of information that actually is admissible in court because not everything is admissible. There's hearsay, there's things that keep evidence out of court and certain things you can't testify to. And so the point of that is you keep folding that piece of paper until it's the teeniest, tiniest little square that you could possibly hold. And that's the amount of information that the judge actually has before them to make a decision. And so the point of that exercise is while so many people think I'm going to court to tell my story, mm-hmm. so little of their story is actually heard by the court because the court has to make a decision based on what they can hear, what, what the evidence allows in, what's relevant. They're going to cut out the emotion from it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to then look at the law and the statutes as to how they can apply it. And it comes down to such a small, small, small piece of paper. And so that exercise is important for when you decide and you say, I'm I'm going to court, I'm going to take it to trial. It's really being aware of what that looks like, because sometimes, well, every time someone goes to court and says they're going on principle or they're going to get justice, they're really disappointed. Mm Yeah, because there isn't justice in family court and what they think that their their story that's so important to them is not so important or as important to the judge. It's important in the moment, but it's not that same emotionally charged experience as as the court, the judge is hearing it. Right. Because I mean, really, what are judges looking for? They 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 aren't really looking at your emotional situation, right? Right. No, they're not looking, you know, they'll factor in some of the emotion, they'll listen, um, they can use that to assess credibility, mm-hmm. they can look at the human reactions and responses and the emotion, the anger, maybe the sadness, um, but they still have to apply the law to the facts and mm-hmm. what the evidence says. So the emotion probably is the least important part of all of this. And they instead have to say, okay, what, how can we divide things in a fair and equitable way? And what is fair and equitable and what is there? And how do you, how do you untangle all of the assets? And what do we do what's best for the kids, which is often not the same thing that you think is best for your kids. The court's going to look at this as unbiased as they can and say, what is going to be best for these kids? And so it's so disappointing for clients to go to court and think that they're going to get a big win because no one ever wins everything. There's mm-hmm. always going to be some level of compromise or, or maybe you're winning one little piece or one part, but then there's something that you're not, you're, you're losing on or you get, or the court orders that you don't like. So right. you don't have, and when you go to court, you no longer have the option of crafting an agreement that you have control over and you're right. giving it to them to say, decide, decide it all. And, and the, the chips are going to fall where they may, and you may hate parts of your agreement and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah, which is so huge because you mean you're nailed it on the head. People go to court for emotional justice, which is not where they're going to find it. It's a really expensive way to find something that isn't there, you know. And when you work with clients, is there times though when you know going to court is inevitable? Like you actually can't avoid it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why. I was a litigator and why I had, had, God, I don't even know how many trials I've done, but there's a reason 
why those cases ended up in trial. And it had nothing to do with me pushing the case to trial or even Mm. necessarily the client, but sometimes just situations don't warrant anything else. And you have to, um, sometimes the, the divide is so large between the couple that there is nothing that they can agree on where you have Mm -hmm. to, sometimes there's a mental illness that will uh, necessitate the need to go to court because that person who who suffers from that mental illness uh, can't make a decision um, or is high conflict. And if you have a parent who's high conflict, those cases usually end up in trial because the person wants the conflict. They feed off of it. And we hear all of these terms, narcissist and um, gaslighting. And, you know, for someone like that, who's in that type of relationship, it may be the inevitable and you just can't avoid it. So yes, absolutely. You should try to reach an agreement. Mediation is wonderful, but it's not, it's not for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it definitely isn't. And it sounds like, you know, the work that you do around your mindset in divorce would be so beneficial if in the event your client does go to court, because it's hard to prepare for something like that. Like it is so overwhelmingly scary. How do you, you know, how do you work that com- almost compartmentalized between like, okay, what is the business of divorce between what am I feeling in this overwhelm? And I love how you shifted you know, kind of your law career to encompass so much of the shame and the mindset that women specifically are going through. And tell us more about, you know, how you started to shift that and incorporate that piece. Yeah. You know, for clients going to court often, it it is so overwhelming. The process is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. The experience is intimidating. So what I like to say to clients is let's define your goals. So if, if these are the five things that you want, let's rank them in order. What's most important to you? And as a lawyer, my strategy then is to present a case that will hopefully uh, have the judge see that that number one goal should be in favor of what my client is asking for. And then the others become less important. Mm-hmm. So you're crafting a story around what your goals are and with emphasis on that, because there, there are divorce cases that go on for weeks and weeks and days and days and months and months. And, you know, and sometimes that happens, but judges don't, they want to cut out all of the nonsense and all of the noise. They want to get to the meat of what the case is. And you'll even see judges kind of tune out their, their glaze kind of, you know, their eyes glaze (laughs) over. And because when, when people go down the weeds of often like the blame game Mm -hmm. and really focusing on things that don't impact what the final result is, the judge doesn't want to hear it. They want to know the facts. Mm -hmm. What are the facts? What's the evidence? What can we do about this? And that's what they're focusing on. So it's really helping clients to see, yes, your story is important, but let's focus on the end result and how we can get you there. Uh, and some clients do better than others. And some clients, you know, they end up in court and they're so overwhelmed and they get up on in the, the witness box and all of a sudden, like it all comes out, right. um, the emotion, the anger, the, and, and, you know, y- y- you can't, it's an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's just inevitable. And that's when we take a break and we try to like bring it back and center and say, okay, let's just go up and try to keep this business like and direct because that's what the judge is looking at it like it's keeping this business like stating the facts not being overly emotional mm-hmm. um and really just keeping your eye on getting out the other end of this yeah and i can see as a woman you know let's say you decided to leave your marriage and now you're in this situation where you're going to court and you're battling it out you second guess yourself right you're like what have i done like what have i done to my family or my situation and now everyone's looking at blaming me for this, this experience, we wouldn't be here because of you. You're ruining the kids. You know, you're just, you're financially devastating us, that type of thing Because women hold that into it's personal now, right? Like it's a decision that they've made that has impacted their situation so much. And a lot of people get that shame and blame from the other side. And you work so much with helping women, figure out strategies to manage that shame, right? So that they don't have to carry all of that guilt with them for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah. And even if they're the ones who don't want the divorce, helping them step away from being the victim. So we see Mm. this often. And if there's an affair, so this could be a man or a woman. um, If there's an affair in the marriage, 
So it's so easy to get stuck in like, you want vengeance, you want your spouse to pay rather than say, listen, if there was an affair, chances are something was broken in your marriage. Doesn't mean that the behavior was correct or was the best choice, but something was broken and it was not being addressed. Mm -hmm. And this was the catalyst to deal with it. And so let's not look at this like a blame game. Let's let's be honest about what your marriage was and say, okay, now we have to move forward. And part of that is forgiving. And you don't mm-hmm. have to look to them and say, I forgive you. But in, internally, you have to say, okay, this happened so that I can move forward. Like this was supposed to happen on my journey and releasing that releasing the resentment, releasing the anger, so you can move forward. So whether you want the divorce or the divorce is happening to you and you didn't want to, there's there's that part of the just the release, the release, the shame, release the anger in order to move forward. And that's so important because if you can, if you can conquer that or master that, then then life on the other side of divorce is filled with so much possibility and hope. But if you don't master that and you stay stuck holding on to the shame and you're stuck holding on to the blame, you're constantly looking back and saying, well, I'm a victim and you know, this thing happened to me and poor me. And that's not, that's not how to get out the other side. That's not what thriving after divorce looks like. It's, it's releasing. And there, that's where the power is because you have control over that. Each you of do. us has control over that. You do. You, you totally do. And I f- almost feel like you aren't fully divorced until you can emotionally have that release, right? Because if you're still holding on to Mm -hmm. the blame, shame, we're here because of you, you've done this, you're still very much married, (laughs) you know, like you're still married to that person in that emotional way because you can't let it go. And yes, I'm not saying, you know, forgive and forget and let's start again, but that forgiveness piece is not as much about the other person as it is about you being able to say, yeah, this happened. There was a lot of shit that maybe happened. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain. Both parties are responsible to a certain extent Mm -hmm. as to how we got here. So how can I take accountability for my role in this and be able to let go of the fact that it all happened this way and how can we move forward? And and if that sounds like so too too hard to achieve, too Mm -hmm. woo-woo, then the hard reality is if you hold on to that resentment, it's going to cost you a lot of money because those are the clients that constantly go back to court. They constantly want modifications. They can't be flexible with their co-parenting schedule. And they're so strict. And every time something has to be adjusted, someone has to run back to court and that's cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. So the practicality of why releasing has to do with money too, not just emotion. Huge. Oh my gosh. That's so true. It's, especially I see it on the, on the co-parenting piece, you know, when, when you're struggling to share the, the kids. And so there's this note, we're going to court over this, but, but why, why, right? Like you really do equally, you created these children together. This was your decision to have them together. And now that you're no longer together, does it make one of you more entitled to have more time with the children than the other parent? Mm. Yeah. There's situations. Yeah. Where maybe their safety is an issue and they can't be, or just logistics. But at the end of the day, you know, a father and a mother are equally important in a, in a child's life. Like to me, that was one piece I never fought my ex-husband on because I grew up with my dad, not around a lot. And I think that's really affected me as an adult, you know? Yes. And yeah. I didn't want my kids to go through that. Cindy, I think you just probably had some listeners who like banged on their steering wheel or <laughs> got really <laughs> angry with what you just said. Because that is so emotionally charged. And I completely agree with you is that one parent doesn't have more of possessory rights over the kids than the other, just because of whether they were the bearer of those children and because of their gender. And I absolutely agree with you. Um, Fathers have rights just as much as mothers do. And unless, you know, this is extenuating circumstance that, that you mentioned, but if we're just talking about two capable parents, it, it, it's going to be in the kid's best interest to have both parents in their life equally, assuming both parents want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I totally think so. It's that's when it becomes about what is actually in the child's best interest. Not so what what's in my best interest and letting go, because even though I never fought my ex-husband on that piece, that was the hardest thing I had to get used to was losing my kids half the time. I mean, first of all, I never thought he would want 50%, but I never really thought about that. And then when he did, 
having time away from them was honestly like, it felt like my arms were being ripped off of my body physically. Right. And I'm sure a lot of women can attest to how that feels. And I thought, how can I possibly live my life without my kids? Because up until then that was my purpose, right? I was 98% mom. What was I going to do with myself? But knowing that they had to adjust to that time and he had to adjust to that time being a dad. Like he, it was hard too for him at the beginning, like trying to figure it all out, but you know, they roll with the punches. And I think if more wives would let, or more, you know, moms would let dads actually have an opportunity to show what they're like as a dad, be in, they could be empowered and they have, they can be a great father at the end of the day. And it doesn't mean that everything has to be done one way. Mm-hmm. So just because parents do things, because this happens all the time, you have two parents who do things in a very different way and that's okay. Mm-hmm. There can be separate rules in each house. It's not ideal. It's best to be on the same page with some rules, but sometimes it happens where there are separate rules and that's okay too. So the kids will know that, okay, if I go to mom's house, there's a TV in my bedroom, but if I go to dad's house, he doesn't want a TV there. That's okay. They'll, mm-hmm. it doesn't have, you both don't have to be on the same page for everything. And it's allowing both parents just to parent the way that they, they want to. Um, and there isn't within a reasonable limits within. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Within reason. Yeah. Yes. Cause I think that that's always a thing too. Like how can we be on the same page and you want so much too, even when you're trying to be a yeah. good co-parenting relationship, you're trying really hard to try to agree on certain things, like be on the same page, especially when it comes down to, I know to me, my kids are now approaching teenage years, like their interaction on their, on their electronics or, you know, exposure to social media. Like those things are kind of important to me. I don't know. I don't think they're as important as on the other side. So when I try to set a boundary, it might happen at my house, but it falls through the cracks at the other house. And so part of me is like, what the hell? Like, aren't we should Mm -hmm. be on the same page, but I can't control everything. Right. And I I can only control what you can control. And if my kids have to understand that I have different standards and values and expectations than their father, that's okay. And you have to learn kind of where you fall as, as a kid too. Such a good point. It's so true. And more often than not, I think it's a situation like yours where you do have that difference of boundaries and rules. And it's just recognizing that you can't control your ex. They're going to do what they want. You don't have to react to everything. You don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. And you just have to, again, that word release just keeps coming to mind, like releasing that control, releasing the need for everything to be so-called perfect, you know, because mm-hmm. who, who's to say what that is. And I think as moms, we're guilty of that. We want it to, we want to make things perfect for our kids. We want, we want them to have the perfect childhood and, you know, releasing that, that idea that everything has to be perfect all the time. And both parents um, can contribute in a positive way to your kid's upbringing, even if it's different. Yeah. And that's so hard to do. So, I mean, do you coach your clients on what strategies they can use to even start that? Cause I'm sure some people are listening to that, like that's impossible. How can I even get there in the first place? Yeah. So, you know, it, communication is, is huge and not being reactive. So if you have a high conflict parent, it's paying attention to how you respond to things because your gut instinct, you get the text, you know, your blood boils, the text comes through from your ex and you're already angry. You're already seeing red And it's taking a breath and not responding right away because you're not required to, Mm -hmm. because your initial response is like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, you know, type in all caps and give you the (laughs) middle finger emoji. And you don't have to do that. And you keep it business-like and you keep it civil and you can be firm with it and say, here are the things that, you know, here's my response to it and not, and remove the emotion from it. And that's how you respond. So you're protecting your energy. And that's the important piece is like, don't give it away to them. Mm-hmm. If they're high conflict, they don't have, they, sh- they shouldn't have any piece of your energy. So don't give them that power, protect it. So you respond in, in a way that is just completely detached mm-hmm. and almost like a business-like way. And that's one way of, of protecting yourself, not controlling them, but still standing your ground in the sense that you have something important to say. Maybe you disagree on something. You don't have to be a doormat. That's certainly what you don't want to do and, and, and stating it, but in a way that you're removing the charge from it. Yeah. And just standing back from it because we all Mm -hmm. want to just 
stand up for ourselves, right? We all yeah. want to engage when we are engaged with. And I think there was something I heard once. It was like, when you are responding to someone like your ex, you know, think about it. Is it clear? Is it kind? And is it necessary? You know, cause yeah. sometimes we are just responding because we feel like we need to defend ourselves or we also want to be heard. And I've seen this play back and forth. I mean, even in my, in myself, you're vying for that power position, especially if you've been in a marriage where you didn't feel like your voice mattered, you want it to matter now. <laughs> so you're like, yes. you are speaking loud and clear and you are doing caps and you're trying to, I've seen so many people try to like go with, the, you know, the, a little poker. Like, I'm just going to try to go undermine you and get where, get it where you, what are hurts, you know, and that doesn't ever lead to anything good. And I would say that most people leave a situation like that, just both feeling shittier, you know, about, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you're both, you're, you're both, your, your energy is impacted. Your, your, your day is impacted. The resentment you hold on everything. It impacts every area of Mm -hmm. your life. And it is so much better to, to come at this with a detached and civil and business-like approach and protect that because everything else, you know, everything else that you have control over anyway, because we can't, we can't control them. And if they're high conflict, they're always going to be high conflict and toxic, Mm -hmm. but you, you, you don't have to give that away. And it's, you know, you make such a good point. Yeah. It's so awesome. I'm, I'm so happy that you were on with me today. I feel so honored that you were my guest. I, you know, you, I like you, we could probably talk about this all day long. <laughs> but, oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so tell everyone how they can find you. Yeah. So Instagram is my favorite place to hang out and that's it at Ms. Renee Bauer. And from there, I have a, a bunch of free resources, a free mini, uh, free mini video course. I have my educational course called the D course and all of the other things that I have going on. So I reply to all of my DMs. So if anyone is listening and wants to shoot me a message, I will, um, I'll be looking out for it. I know you are good that way. I was always <laughs> impressed from the moment that I reached out to you, you got back on like, wow, that's impressive. One of your, you know, stature and, and fame. Well, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. And make sure to also go and check out her podcast because you're going to love that too. Um, Renee is an amazing resource. So follow her on Instagram. She's got so much knowledge and little tips for you to take away and, and some great work on shame for women who are trying to navigate divorce in a better way. Um, coming up next week on Divorce Redefined, we have licensed professional counselor, Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. She'll be joining me to talk about how our upbringing, attachment styles, and relational programming impact how we show up in our relationships. So if you do miss a live show, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow Divorce Redefined there. And please give give me a rating and let me know what you think, because this show is entirely designed for you. I want this show to reach as many people as possible because changing the experience of divorce is a movement and you don't have to be getting divorced to be supportive of this movement. We want as many people as possible to listen to, to the show, to support what we're doing, because we really do believe that we can change how people experience divorce and come out the other side. And Renee, you're an amazing testament to that. So thank thank you you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you all here again next week. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.